1: Free dessert for life at homechef.com slash locked on. That's homechef.com slash locked on for 18 free meals and free dessert for life, homechef.com slash locked on
2: Conditions apply, need to hire, you need, indeed.
3: You are Locked On Nets, your daily Brooklyn Nets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
2: Welcome into a Wednesday night edition of the Locked On Nets podcast. I am your host, Gavin Shaw. After four years covering the Phoenix Suns, I moved back to my native New York to give you the latest and greatest on the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, lately, uh, hasn't been so much of the greatest. Uh, the Nets have dropped 16 of 18. Nonetheless, we have an exciting podcast for you. The snow is falling heavily outside of my apartment, but we're not going to let that or the Nets losing way stop this from being a good one. So, obviously, at this point, Josh would have normally chimed in. He is uh, stuck in Costa Rica. Really a uh, tough break for him. But in his place, we are going to be having on uh, the NBA's uh, Marcus Verahal to talk about his job, uh, Nets Warriors last night, and um, maybe some of the Western Conference playoff race. I don't know. We'll we'll see what we get into. But uh, before that uh, happens, I want to talk Nets, Clippers, and uh, Spencer Dinwiddie's career-high 27-point night in a 123-120 loss. So this one was... Uh, really kind of on the starter, Spencer Dinwiddie, uh, at least scoring the basketball, one of his worst games of the season, didn't make a shot. Uh, he, he only had six points, and he was one of four starters in single digits. Damari Carroll, the only one who stood out with 20 points, 6 of 11 from 3-point range. But then the bench really stepped up. All four guys who played had excellent games. Rondé Hollis-Jefferson, 15-8-5. Uh, the first time, he really looked totally back. From injury, Dante Cunningham, 14-3, and three, continued his consistent contributions, an obvious upgrade over Quincy A.C., the way he's been playing. Joe Harris, um, it's something Kenny Atkinson has talked about, uh, particularly after this game, just how how thankful he is for Harris, and the fact that he just knows what he's getting on a night-to-night basis, and like the shots aren't always going to be falling, and he's, he's not going to be automatic from three-point range night in and night out. But he's going to get the same effort, same level of intensity. And Harris, anytime he's out there, will find a way to do something positive for this team. But again, we have to start with the efforts of Karis LeVert. 27 points, 5 assists, 5 rebounds in just 29 minutes. 11 of 19 from the field. Really put on a show shooting the 3-ball hit. I believe 3 of them in the 4th quarter. uh, A couple were from really deep. And he he just got into a rhythm. And, And earlier in the season when this guy couldn't hit a shot, I mean, I'd be stunned if you told me he had a game at any point this year where he went five of seven from three-point range, but he's just kind of figured it out, and I know I know there have been stretches where he really hasn't shot the three-ball well, but you just watch him go up and down. Now the motion looks repeatable, and his touch, rising and firing, is frankly just excellent, and he has clearly gotten into a rhythm at this point in the season and complementing that with attacking the rim uh, those three threes he hit in the fourth were part of an eight of ten run from range for the nets to start the fourth quarter and and, and that's kind of what separated them in this game where they were struggling uh, they were down by 12 at halftime and and they made this, this great run in the third and fourth to uh, come back and, and they actually had a four-point lead with a minute 40 left in this game and, and it was because of the shooting and, and then the Clippers come back they get a bucket Uh, Levert comes back down, drives on DeAndre Jordan. I I would say got fouled, gets knocked to the ground, doesn't get called. Still makes a really tough layup, kind of what he's been doing all year, his ability to go to the basket, take contact, and finish. Not really in question. Um, Yeah, so I I don't really know what else to say. It was just an outstanding game for him. Um, And then for the Nets as a whole, kind of a a disappointing finish. Obviously, they had that four-point lead. They missed there. I think Austin Rivers hit uh, a corner three. Um, and then Lou Williams comes down at the end and uh, puts it away with a layup after Levert. Uh, has one bad play on the night, uh, turned it over looking for Hollis Jefferson, but it's kind of frustrating on the offensive end for the Nets down the stretch, because they had that uh, turnover with Levert just kind of tried to force it uh, after doing a Nash dribble underneath the baseline, and no one was really open, and uh, they had another possession before that where Spencer Dinwiddie uh, had the basketball and just kind of slowed it down and, and, and turned it into a one-on-one affair when the Nets have, I think all season, derived a lot of their offensive success from swinging the ball around the perimeter and uh, making stuff happen that way, and instead Dinwiddie just kind of dribbled into a three. It's something I would have expected. Added D'Angelo Russell, not Dinwiddie, and was an end of a disappointing night for him, even though he did have 10 assists, 5 rebounds, and 3 steals. So, I mean, give, give him credit for contributing, but again, just not really his night. All right, uh, I'm trying to think any any uh, kind of ancillary stuff uh, from this game. Uh, it, it was cool uh, to see Chris Carino, uh, the Nets radio broadcaster, get a chance on the TV broadcast. Uh, I'm not quite sure what Ian Eagle uh, was up to, maybe just a scheduled rest day for him. Uh, I didn't, didn't want to make that cross-country flight. Um, Ryan Rucco, probably busy with Yankees spring training. Uh, but Chris Carino uh, getting a shot uh, at uh, calling the game on TV. And uh, he, he did a really good job. And I, I, think, I think people kind of underestimate uh, just how tough it is to make that transition to radio and to, from radio to TV and vice versa, uh, particularly when you're not uh, doing it all the time. Because radio is, is kind of a play-by-play guy's medium. And, and you just get to go all out, describe everything. TV, you got to highlight your analyst. You got to be a little bit more... Subtle in terms of description because obviously people can see what's going on. And, and I thought Carino did that actually like really seamlessly. Like he's arguably like you you can make a case that he's better than both Eagle and Ruko, kind of laying off on the description when something's obvious. Um, so I, I, I kind of like that. I, I thought he had a really good broadcast, even if he doesn't have quite the highs of those other two. Uh, it was a tough start for the Nets in this one. Uh, they were moving really slowly on offense. There was a lot of stagnation. The Clippers got out to a 10 nothing lead, um, and then even even through the second quarter, the Nets were getting killed in transition. The Clippers had really active hands, and it, it looked for a little bit like they were going to kind of overwhelm the Nets just with their athletic ability and ability to get out and run. And this is something I talked about with Josh last time the uh, Clippers and Nets faced off in Barclays, I, I think a week or two back. Um, This team really does remind me of that Denver Nuggets team from four years ago where there's not really a clear superstar. Like, obviously, you could make the case that DeAndre Jordan and Lou Williams are borderline all-stars, but but they're just, like, fun, and they just have, like, eight really, really good players, even with um, Danilo Gallinari out. They just bring someone like Sam Decker off their bench, who's a young guy. I really like, um, yeah, so it's really like eight, nine deep, and like, even, even guys like Milos Teodosic, I, I think he's one of my favorite players to watch in the league, definitely one of my favorite rookies to watch in the league with, with his ability to pass the basketball. Um, Yeah, so, and, and I think there's something to that, and if you're looking at an example of what the Nets could be in a few years, and maybe for some people this is kind of discouraging if you have higher expectations, but I, I would look to know further than the Clippers, like, I wouldn't say the Nets quite have that depth of talent now, but but you look at the career trajectories for guys like Karis LeVert, Jared Allen, Joe Harris, Russell, Dinwiddie, you see like a really deep team with a lot of really good players. And it's possible that like, I mean, I don't know, I still I have high hopes for LeVert, and obviously Allen, it's very much an unknown at this point. Like, but even even if none of those guys end up being all-stars, I I think you could kind of have a team where there's just a ton of depth and a lot of really good players. And the Atlanta Hawks, even though I think they ended up having four all-stars, On that team, Um, I think they were a pretty good example of, in the East, just how effective that could be a few years ago, and and you're not going to beat the LeBron James of the world. But you you might have a chance to make a conference finals run with a group of that level of talent in the Eastern Conference. Um, That's also assuming playoff reform isn't on the way, but I'm getting uh, way ahead of myself there. Anyways, uh, point being, uh, I think the Nets have an interesting future, and it could a lot like this current iteration of the Los Angeles Clippers. All right, uh, let me see. Final thoughts on this one. Uh, oh, yeah, there was a really cool play where uh, Karis LeVert, and this is just a testament to what kind of night he was having. He was kind of uh, speeding through the lane, through like a really quick uh, kind of shuffle pass to Jared Allen, and he threw it so hard Allen wasn't even expecting it, bounced off his chest, went right back to LeVert, and he put in like a short little floater. So that was, uh, that was, that was pretty cool. That was pretty cool. Uh, yeah, Levert, uh, personal 8-0 run, three assists, three in the fourth quarter. That was awesome. Yeah, and then just, just how tentative they were down the stretch. There really wasn't any ball movement, and, uh, we're, we're gonna get into that, um, in the Warriors game with Marcus, because the same thing's kind of bogged the nets down at points in that one. But without further ado, here is, uh, let's take a quick ad break. And then after the break, uh, we'll be back with Marcus Farrell.
0: Enter Wondery's newest sports show, Alternate Routes, a weekly leap into the sports multiverse with former Sports Center anchors Trey Wingo and Kevin Frazier. Each week on the podcast, Trey and Kevin will pry open the sliding doors of a different what if moment from the world of sports. In these alternate sports realities, dynasties will fall, legacies will change forever, new goats will emerge. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcast. You can listen to Alternate Routes early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+.
3: The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late-season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
2: Welcome back into a Wednesday night edition of the Locked On Nets podcast. As promised, the NBA's Marcus Barahal uh, joining us on the pod. Uh, And and Marcus, this... Technically, isn't your first time recording a Locked on Nets. You've put together a, a 30 minute uh, lost episode that, according to Josh Bass, is the greatest in the show's history, but I have no evidence that it was ever done. So. Well, we're going to be, we'll be releasing that in the summer. Uh, keep your <laughs> eyes
4: peeled and your ears open, I guess. Yeah, depending
2: on where LeBron ends up going. Because so the Lakers will put it out. He stays with the Cavs, so we're keeping it. All right, uh, so Marcus, uh, fortunate enough in his line of work to watch uh, more basketball games than just about anyone. Now, maybe, maybe Zach Lowe could compete with you. I He's, think like, we're, a little, we're like, pretty even. even. Yeah. We usually
4: text about it.
2: I'd say, what do, what do you think you watch? Because you, you watch about like a game a night, I'd say, on average, right? Yeah, probably like five a week. And then like highlights, uh, like a lot of highlights yeah. on top of that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, all right, so, so pretty full uh, NBA slate. Um and just so happened that while our good friend Josh is in Costa Rica, you watched uh Nets Warriors <laughs> last night. Um, I, I just uh, we'll we'll get we'll get more into details. I just wanted like some general takeaways on the Nets. Obviously, you've seen them a couple times this year, with general thoughts.
4: Yeah, so I hadn't watched the Nets. I watched them a lot at the beginning of the year, but I hadn't seen them much in 2018. And they're just as scrappy as ever. I guess is my biggest takeaway. Wow. They're still, Thank you. yeah, they're yeah. still playing hard. Uh, Lost sixteen of eighteen. Yeah, but they're still. Like, <laughs> I mean, like, because the, they had a, they gave up a twenty-five zero run, and they were still leading at halftime. Yeah, yeah which yeah. is like seems impossible to do yeah, in the first quarter. Yeah. If you keep in mind, yeah, they were down by twenty-one in the first, and uh, I was watching on the Warriors feed, so I was getting their announcers, and they just kept complimenting the Nets on how a team that's like now twenty-five games under five hundred that doesn't have their pick, doesn't have like a lot of established guys. In that situation, down 21 on the road in the first quarter to the defending champs would usually just pack it in. But this Nets team just kept coming back, kept scrapping, clawing. Guys like Lavert off the bench, Rondae off the bench were really bringing energy. And they seem like they really care. I guess.
2: Yeah, no, and that, that's kind of in the story of the season with this team. And Kenny Atkinson, if if you want to question his bona fides as a strategist or play caller, you definitely can't question like the degree that he motivates his team. And, and again, like we've seen time after time, they get down by 20 or more points. Uh, 10 and 13 on the year in games decided by five points or less. They've played the most games in the league in games decided by five points or less. So that that's kind of been the story. They rarely get blown out. And on night, they're in Golden State losing game after game after game. And I guess every reason to give up and, and, and they fight their way back into it. I mean, that being said, I think it was like it was pretty obvious, like the, the Warriors took their foot. Off the pedal, and from a Golden State perspective, I thought it was interesting because the run that they had was, was almost entirely spurred by the brilliance of Steph Curry and, the, and him just taking over the game. And then he goes out, Durant's in, Draymond's in, Klay's and, and the Nets just dominate that unit. And it kind of reaffirmed what I what I think Steph Curry said a couple of times. And I'm always really interested in these discussions, especially because he's probably the most knowledgeable person on Smart this in guy. the world. But, um, I mean, getting to coach both of them. But I I, I always find it interesting when he said, like, Durant's probably the better player, but Curry's the one more important to the Warriors. Mm Mm-hmm. And then like I kind of question the logic of like if curry is more important. No, you're just saying in the context of this team is more important or if he'd be more important to any team, doesn't that inherently make him better even if Durant's more complete? That's always like a really interesting conversation. And I guess you're getting kind of like definitional, but it's just like is that a word? I don't know. But it just it is interesting. And I thought we just kind of saw it firsthand in this one, like just how crucial Curry is like relative to Durant.
4: Yeah, Steph was just unbelievable in that 25-row yeah. run. He was just pulling up from three, four feet behind the arc yeah. and making it easily. He was gave like a half shimmy at one point where he kind of yeah, turned yeah. to the sideline <laughs> and thought about shimmying, maybe <laughs> held back. That's, reserve that for Tim Hardaway Jr., I think. Yeah, But yeah, I think Steph's gravity that he brings just opens things up for everybody else and it allows guys like Draymond to have, who's a good playmaker, especially for a guy his size, but to have that four-on-three opportunity is really like what gives him an
2: extra step. Yeah, I, we, we were talking about this before the podcast, but we, we kind of got uh, hung over all-star game. Draymond Green this time, he dropped like four passes, I think. Yeah. Like, Steph hit him for like two open layups, and he just missed. I, I think he had a dunk that went off the side of the rim at one point. Six turnovers. Yeah. Uh, yeah
4: so not, not great. Yeah. Um, yeah, I remember Steph had one past him that was like a really nice pocket pass where Draymond was rolling, he, like, and he had a wide open elbow, yeah. layup, and he just kind of bounced
2: it like off his own knee out of bounds. Yeah. I don't know. Weird...
4: Weird season for Draymond, I would say.
2: Yeah, but I guess uh, getting back to Curry, like, I I thought it was just kind of cool because I know um, Steve Kerr uh, said this going into the season that, like, he thought this is, like, the most complete Steph Curry's ever been as a player, and obviously he was dealing with injury issues earlier in the year and hasn't really been able to get into rhythm up until just before the All-Star break and then the 10 or so games since. But I I think you really, like, any Nets fan who watched this game, I think you really saw Steph at his peak, and, like, personally, like, I kind of understood what Kerr meant, at this point, it was just like kind of a total mastery game in that, like, not only was like the shooting as spectacular as ever, but he's figured out how to leverage that as well as possible. And you see it in so many different ways, like pump faking by guys, like as you said, like in transition, like he'll like throw in like a little hesitation, and like every single guy in the defense freezes because he's the most dangerous guy on the floor, and he's he, and just. You, you, I think you used the perfect word. Just based on his gravity, he's able to get guys' layups almost any time he wants or get to the basket and finish himself. And that combination with like all the little fakes he has in the starting and stopping and being athletic enough to jump and do stuff in the air, like I he's—I think he's really like unguardable. at this yeah. point. Yeah,
4: I think a lot of what separates him, too, is that he doesn't settle. Like A lot of guys, if you hit two threes in a row and you catch it on the wing, you're going to pull up regardless of how close the defense yeah. is closing out. But he'll kind of, if the guy closes out too hard, he'll give a fake and drive in, look for somebody... He's not always going to force it just because he feels like
2: he might be hot, which is big. Yeah, so we mentioned the 34 points uh, for him oh. in 34 minutes. And then the Nets having that uh, spectacular run to get back into it. It was 25-0 at 1 point, 29-2 overall for the Warriors. Then the Nets uh, 19-2, then 25-4 to to take the lead. Eventually, I think it was 39-13 by the time they had a five-point edge at half. And, th- and that was really driven by uh, both Karis LeVert and and frankly, the entire bench unit, but I just remember him, like, beating Durant to the rim on a dunk, and, and you were telling me of, uh, of a fascinating conversation you were having with a co of yours, uh, Matt Drexler. Shout-out uh, to Drexler. Shout-out, uh, hopefully, a uh, lifelong nut fan, he could actually subscribe to the podcast, that'd be <laughs> great. Uh, anyways, uh, that's neither here nor there, but, uh, and, and you guys kind of frequently debate the potential of Karis LeVert against Jared Allen, and I thought that was kind of a cool conversation, because Josh and I have... have danced around that on the year but never really directly had it and like what what, what are your thoughts on that and like what angle do you kind of usually take on that yeah
4: um i think they're both good obviously and i think they both have a bright future Great. but yeah they're both uh very good uh, yeah. <laughs> I i personally would take karis just because i like the diversity of skills i guess that he brings like yeah. jared allen you know what he is he's going to be a rim running big he can play defense and block shots i think karis as a playmaker can bring more to the table and he's long enough on defense where he can help you on that end too. And I think he's just has more versatility, even though he's older than Jared Allen. I know Matthew Drex, or AKA little Drex is a big Jared Allen guy and sees him as being a potential all-star center, which I mean, I don't necessarily disagree. I just think, I guess that's just how high I am on Karis.
2: Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you on that. And what's kind of interesting that Allen is like coming in and like, I'm, I'm not putting this on other people. Like this is what Josh and I thought too. Like you expected someone who was just extremely raw and had a lot of athletic ability but what surprises me about him is just how skilled he is at this point. And obviously that's been like an exponential leap from early in the season, but like his ability now to catch the ball, like pivot and throw it out to a three point shooter on the opposite side of the court um, to be creative around the rim. Like we were talking about when they played Cleveland the other week, he got like LeBron James on a fake. He didn't make the shot, but just like little moments like that. And like just how intuitive he is around the basket. Like to me, that's like that, that, that's shocking that he's that good, but it also like lowers his ceiling a little bit because he already is like kind of, not, not like, extremely far. Like, obviously, there's, like, a lot of stuff he can still develop, and he doesn't really have any kind of post game at this point. But just because that stuff is already there, it, it makes me think there's a little bit less room to grow than I initially thought. And, and also, and then, like, the bigger thing, and this is what we were saying at the beginning, just physically the difference between the two of them. And the, and the biggest thing for Allen was, like, if he was built like a Joel Embiid, like, I'd be projecting him to be, like, an eight-time All-Star. Like, that's how high I am on his athletic ability and, like, skill set. But LaVert, like, really does have kind of, like, an ideal – build for a guard you don't really see too many guys like him just kind of six five really skinny but his speed and coordination i think it was it was summed up on that play where he stole the ball and like durant was going after him and just his like i don't want to say like courage because i don't know if that's a word that should be associated with basketball but kind of basketball courage to just like have it in transition like whether it's durant draymond like he'll challenge those guys at the rim like again and again and again And we saw how good the shot is getting the night before like his, his all-around game and his also his passing ability is just like ridiculous and I mean I guess the only hesitation with him is that he's already like I think 24 years old
4: yeah and I think what you were saying about him continually driving in on guys I feel like I didn't watch him in college but I feel like he's gotten a lot of that from Rondé, maybe just because yeah. Ronde's a guy who will barrel into the paint and just try to either draw contact or get inside and I think that that element has helped Karis to expand his range outside when he
2: can drive in and have those two options basically that can act as counterweight yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I guess I guess the only other real takeaway from this one, I mean, the game kind of went predictably. Like Brooklyn had their big comeback, ran out of energy. Golden State uh, dominated the second half. Uh, was uh, DeAngelo Russell? You caught him on a good night, and so I mean, obviously that kind of clouds your opinion a little bit because there there are a lot of nights where he doesn't look this good. But uh, what what, what do you see out of him? Twenty points, eight assists on the game.
4: Yeah, I've been really low on him uh, this whole season. They, we, we two, so. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> yeah, I, it yeah. <laughs> I probably he's rubbed off on me. Yeah. But. Uh, He looked really good. He looked impressive. The Warriors broadcast kept complimenting him. They kept saying that he was not looking for his own shot, that he was looking to set up teammates and looking to kind of lead this young team, even though he is only 21 himself. And I definitely saw that in this game. From the past games I had watched, he didn't seem to be looking to necessarily create. And the fit with him and Dinwiddie is still, I think, developing. But this definitely looked a lot better.
2: Yeah, I, I think he was, like, a lot more judicious in, like, when to shoot and when to pass in this game Is that's kind of been the big thing for him, like, balancing those, like, earlier in the season. He would, like, shoot, like, every time he got the basketball unless someone was wide open. And then when he came back, he he wasn't aggressive enough. And then recently he has balanced it better but still takes some really bad shots. In this game there was only one time where I think he had JaVale McGee on a switch and instead of trying to go by him he just pulled it for a three. And I guess the big thing, like, people forget with him is that he's, he's not an elite athlete and he's not – great at getting to the rim and he mostly relies on kind of being more cunning and and hesitations and head fakes and and different things like that to get to the basket but when you have those situations where you get a big on you that that's when you got to attack and he's settled but but this game I I think you made a good point that he's a lot better at that and like I think the very first or second play of the game was him diving in and kicking it out to Spencer Dinwiddie for a three and the the big issue for the Nets of late has been those two not playing off each other and making each other better and, and I mean, at least at this point, like, obviously like you look at, I think we both think, like, Karras and Jared Allen are kind of the future of this team. But right now, D'Lo and Dean Witty, it's guys who are obviously both still young, are probably their two best players. So you obviously want to see those two making each other better, and that hasn't really been the case up to this point, but a small flash of that there. All right, we'll take uh, one final break and then come back and use some quick thoughts on the Western Conference playoffs.
3: Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
2: Attention, cancer victims. If you or a loved one lived, worked, or visited Lower Manhattan in the months after the 9-11 attacks and have been diagnosed with cancer, federal benefits and health care may be available. Attorney Eddie Markowitz has helped many families recover substantial benefits from the September 11th Victims Compensation Fund. The James Zedroga Health and Compensation Act has been extended, but time is limited. Attorney Markowitz is proud to serve as counsel to the Zedroga family. Let him help you, too. These benefits are not just for rescue workers, but to anyone who qualifies. The fund covers many cancers, including prostate, skin, lung, and breast. Please call 1-800-LAW-HELP. That's 1-800-LAW-HELP to see if you qualify. And welcome back in to the Locked on Nets podcast. Marcus Bear Hall uh, unfortunately, still with me Hello. Uh, to talk uh, Western Conference uh, playoff standings, and uh, there has been uh, quite the shakeup. Uh, the Portland Trailblazers, the three seed, uh, New Orleans Pelicans, the four seed. Um, I think. Let me see. Portland thirty nine and twenty six, uh, just five games up over the four and a half games up over the Utah Jazz in uh, tenth. So clearly, like a lot could change in the coming days. OKC okay, two games up over the Jazz. So plenty of room for these teams to flip-flop, but Marcus, I want to start off as the guy who watches all these teams on a fairly regular basis. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what's, what's been going on with the Pelicans? Because I, I mean, obviously, Anthony Davis has been great, and Damian Lillard's been equally great for the Trailblazers, but that team, like, on, on a very surface level, even with DeMarcus Cousins, just had no tertiary talent, but all of a sudden, without Cousins, they've won nine games in a row.
4: Yeah, uh, not to toot his horn too much, but my guy Matthew Drexler has long been on the front of uh, Boogie's been holding AD back. Yeah. And I think that, I don't know if Could I agree little, totally with yeah. that, but the fit is definitely much smoother with just one big. And I think that. A little Ewing
2: theory action. Yeah, uh,
4: for sure. And I think that with Davis and Emeka Okafer,
2: who's playing well. <laughs> I didn't know. He was yeah, still he's alive. back. Yeah. Um, he's like, isn't he like his head looks like too big for his body now? Yeah, he's, he's, like he's, he's a little bobbleheady. Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, but with
4: those two and with uh, Hol- Drew Holiday's playing great, Rondo's somehow still playing <laughs> basketball. He's better than he was like four years ago in the Mavericks. Yeah, he's, have a, he's having a second prime like Kobe. Um, and uh, Etwan Moore, yeah. my, one of my favorite players in the league, uh, just lighting it up from deep. And I think that when you surround Davis with shooters and he's kind of the main big, as opposed to when you have Cousins as the main big and you have Davis kind of spaced out and then Cousins also spaced out, it's just a cleaner fit now. And I think uh, Alvin Gentry, who's not a great coach, in my opinion, has gotten better. And, uh, for example, I think this was last night. They were up by three, and I don't remember who they were playing, but they, were, they the team they were playing had no timeouts left, and they fouled up three with, like, eight seconds left, which is, like, what you should do, but it's just surprising to see
2: yeah. Alvin Gentry pull the trigger I mean, on that. He's, so I, <laughs> he's, he's made some conference finals. Yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> I, think he, I think he beat the Spurs, maybe, one year? I think that was D'Antoni. Wasn't it 2010 when they finally did it, and then like then they played the Lakers? I think 2009, right? Maybe. I don't, I don't no, know. No, no, it was like Nash's. Like, I think they made it. I, anyway, I just, I finished reading the book on the 07 Suns, so I'm, sure. I'm a very pro Alvin Gentry. He's, he's great. He's okay. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, yeah, no, but, no, but I'm, I'm with you, and I, I think it's uh, yeah, a little bit of that, a little bit of Darius Miller, a little bit yeah. of Nicole Amira, Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, the, those guys are playing well. I mean, the thing is, like, they've shot the ball well all year, and, like, That's kind of a tried-and-true formula. You put a bunch of three-point shooters around a dominant big, and particularly, yeah, and Anthony Davis, like, is similar to Dwight, but with, like, a lot more flexibility. Like, last night, he had, I think, four threes and a quarter Mm -hmm. at one point. Um, So, like, his inside-outside game, like, all of a sudden, you have, like, a very modern offense with, a totally unguardable centerpiece yeah. and that like over a nine game stretch they've been because a lot of those games have been close like they played a really close one against the nets like a few weeks mm-hmm. back that went into double ot yeah. um yeah uh, and suddenly like everything comes together you get in rhythm you get some confidence so i think that's a little bit of a mirage portland feels like a little bit realer. they've somehow like obviously earlier in the season it was like kind of one of the biggest um i forgot the word uh disappointments no uh harbingers aberrations 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 that's the word i'm looking for it's one of the biggest aberrations i remember in the nba where they had i think like one of the top three defenses in the league Mm -hmm. and had an offense that was like 24th or 25th like a total flip from like the last three seasons they've been playing and now that's really balanced out where they've maintained a top 10 defense like obviously they're inevitably going to fall off a little bit but behind damian lillard playing legitimately like an mvp candidate they're all the way up to the three seed and it just it feels like they, like, have enough guys all of a sudden to make a little bit of a run, maybe win in the first round?
4: Yeah. Uh, the biggest development for them this season has been Shabazz Napier, in my opinion. Sure. I, I like, watched the Blazers for, like, a month stretch where I was doing their games, like, every other night. And he's just taken a huge step forward this year. He's – if Victor Oladipo hadn't been doing what he was doing, I would say he would be in the most improved conversation for sure. And guys like Alfred Camino, who is slept on, but he can play defense and he can knock down open threes – Yusuf Nurkic has been a tough presence inside, one that they didn't really have before at the center position. Lillard has gotten even better somehow, and nobody really notices that he's averaging 26 and points per game. Yeah. Which is absurd. But Well, he the, is. the running had
2: against the Lakers the other night was insane. The four yeah. threes in a row. Like yeah. I, I wasn't watching live, but Twitter was just like blowing. It was, it was like kind of like when like Steph like first came on the scene. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was interesting because like I've been saying for years, like he's kind of like a slightly poor man's version it's like of Like
4: 85%? Steph. You know? Yeah, yeah,
2: 85-90. But, like, he's, like, he's doing, like... I mean, he's he's, he's Steph right now. Like, that's, yeah. that's, like, how he's playing. That's how he's shooting. And, like, again, like, that... We, we mentioned, like, the ability to leverage shooting and to go into the rim, but he's even more explosive than Steph is. So at points, it's, like, even scarier than what Steph does.
4: Yeah, for sure. The only hole that they have, really, is at the small forward. Because, I mean, they, yeah. they have Evan Turner. A lot of times they play Napier, McCollum, and Lillard together, Yeah, which is super small and will only <laughs> work against some teams, I guess. And that's really what makes this so interesting these last couple weeks because a lot of this is going to depend on the matchup for not only the Blazers but all the rest of these teams three through ten where you could end up facing a team who maybe is better than another team on paper but is a a
2: better matchup for you so a lot of it I think is going to come down to that all right uh if you're Houston or Golden State like take all the teams behind them uh which which one kind of scares you the most in And I guess any round, like a first, second conference finals matchup. The Thunder, for sure. Really? Yeah. Just because
4: of Russ and Paul George and Steven Adams. I think that's just way more talent than any of the other teams have. Even if they're not the best coached and they're not the best fit, I just think that that's a lot.
2: Yeah, I'm going to cheat a little bit and say the Spurs with a theoretically healthy Kawhi. But no, I'm I'm, I'm with you. I mean, I guess the, the only thing that scares me about them is like just... I mean, I think the stat's been thrown around a lot, but just how atrocious the defensive rating has been since Andre Roberson. And I was kind of of the opinion that, and maybe like, I think in the playoffs, like it'll help a little bit more offensively, not having Roberson, because that's obviously where he was kind of put out to dry the most, but on the defensive end, those issues aren't going away. And as a, Current uh, Knicks fan, unfortunately, still of the opinion that uh, Melo is uh, washed. So yeah, he's um, yeah, yeah, he's gone. I think yeah, never they still have, like play in big minutes, and now they're suddenly playing Corey Brewer big minutes, and it, it's like the same thing that like time after time after time has come back to bite them. And I, I, and it's funny because me and Josh had this conversation earlier in the year. But if you just like threw like joe harris into that lineup like i either in place of mellow or in place of roberson like i i think they're pretty easily the third best team in the west which seems like is a statement that's like i get some people would construe as insane but i, I don't know to me that's uh that's like kind of obvious no i totally agree with that yeah i think that
4: they aren't super deep jeremy grant's been okay for them um raymond felton is in the nba um they <laughs> They, don't, they just don't have a ton of
2: depth, and a guy like Joe Harris would definitely help just to push everyone down a slot. Yeah. And it's interesting because, like, everyone, like, considers, like, Sam Hinkie like, this genius, and, like, obviously, like, g- give give the guy credit. Like, Harden, Durant, Sam Russ, Presti. like... So, so, sorry, my fault. I, I do consider Sam Hinkie a genius. So Two great I Sams, Yeah, Sam Presti. Uh Yeah. Uh, I mean, g- give him credit. Like, I don't think, like, in NBA history, no one's drafting three MVPs in three straight drafts. Like, that just that doesn't happen. But uh, he is, like... Failed like time and time again to put like a complete roster on these guys. And like he's had like great individual, like Stephen Adams, also like great individual pick. Uh, Getting Paul George this year, like I know obviously like Oladipo has turned that trade into like a fair one on paper, but given the disparity at the time, that was incredible. But I don't even know if he's turned it into a fair one. I think the Pacers just want it. Yeah. They have a better record than the Thunder. That's definitely fair. But, uh, I don't know. I'm I'm just saying, like, this guy, like, year after year after year, and I think this is, like, ultimately the reason they broke up initially, and, and, like, certainly the reason Kevin Durant left is, like, they were just never able to get that fifth guy in their starting lineup, and they've taken shots on a million guys, and it it was just never the right guy at the right time. Yeah. Yeah, so that's kind of surprising. All right, uh, let's finish up with this. Uh, Who who do you see uh, making the playoffs? Like, does anyone who's not currently in get in? Is Denver going to fall out? I guess. I think the Clippers could get
4: in. I could see them getting in over Denver. I think the Jazz are... Not going to make it. I think they're, I mean, they're only a game out right now, honestly, but just looking at their team, I don't know if Donovan Mitchell has enough just as a rookie to keep powering through and leading that team every night. I think the Clippers are actually really well balanced. Tobias Harris is good. He's really good. Um, And I think getting Avery Bradley back could help. Uh, Hopefully he comes back soon. DeAndre Jordan has gotten better at the free throw line. I think he's shooting 60% now, which is like really all you need to do to not be intentionally fouled. And Milos is good. I think that I think that they have a very good balanced team. I think Denver, for as good as they are and as young as they are, they still don't have a point guard. They still are a little bit shaky on the wing with Barton. I don't totally trust him. But I think Millsap and Jokic is an incredible passing duo, probably the best two big-man passing teammates in the league. But defensively, they're not great, and they don't have enough juice i don't think Uh, gary harris is good but i don't think he's quite there
2: yeah no i'm with you i'm actually like i'm kind of like like shout out to mike malone like i'm surprised denver is where they are
4: for sure they just had a whole
2: thing i think like it was last night where like they bench Jokic like the whole like fourth quarter so that kind of scares me a little bit i I really do think i i would put like both the clippers and utah ahead of them in terms of odds and like what's fascinating to me is like the jazz like fully healthy they've played like a fifty plus win team and, and Jay crowder Crowder's been
4: good for them too. Yeah,
2: and, and they've been probably better than anyone in the West outside of Golden State and Houston if you just look at that whatever twenty game sample size. Yeah. But is that enough? And like, and the whole thing is like when you win like a bunch of games in a row like that, obviously there's like a letdown at some point. And the cool thing is like all these teams play each other a bunch of times down the stretch. so It's going to kind of finish up that way. I tend to agree with you. And this is kind of a nice way to wrap up the podcast because I was talking about this on my own at the beginning um, and just kind of comparing the Clippers to uh, that Nuggets team from like four or five years ago with Andre Iguodala as their mm-hmm. best player where they just had like eight good guys. And so rarely is that kind of a strategy to build an NBA team. But I think just from like, an objective perspective and like I, I get why those teams aren't constructed because they never result in titles and they also don't result in lottery picks that can get you guys that can win you titles um nba purgatory essentially but i i just think like it's cool to have like that middle class of team where just a bunch of good guys and like and it's, it's fun to see them go against teams that are, like, really, like, star-heavy or have, like, one star, even though it doesn't necessarily exist anymore either. They're just kind of cool. And I think the Pacers are kind of the Eastern Conference version of that. Anyways, just a random thought to end this podcast. Uh, Marcus, thanks so much for joining me. We will wrap it up right Thanks for having me. Oh, God. All right.
3: Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.